Thank you, Lester. Lester is a living illustration, as are so many here this morning, of a resurrection that was meant to mean something. It was meant to stick to our lives. It was meant to have this redefining impact on us. It wasn't just meant to be some calendar event many, many years ago. It was meant to show up in the everyday spaces of life. And so I hope everyone here has a history of being able to say, you know, suddenly taste buds and new eyes and life. And if that's not been your experience, that is the message of Easter. It is the message of a new life. Now, let me not assume something before I jump into my message here. Let me not overassume that we all share the same definition for the word Easter. In just a moment, I'm going to highlight how our, our culture is so changed that it's become more and more unspiritual, more secular, more natural-minded. And so, so maybe you're here today and you're thinking, okay, Easter, what exactly is all involved in Easter? Well, you know, here's the capsule of Easter. At the end of a perfect life lived by the God who came in the form of a human being, he yields his life up. And the Bible says no one took Jesus' life. It said he, he yielded up his life. You couldn't have killed him. Because he did nothing that would bring about death. He was perfect. And he comes to Friday. And he's nailed to a cross. And he sacrifices his life. And sheds his blood. And they bury him in the tomb that Bill described. So he is dead and buried. And then Sunday comes. And he overcomes death. And he overcomes the grave. And new life is presented through him to all who will trust in him. These are historical as well as spiritual facts. This isn't just something made up. This isn't like a Zeus and Apollo story. These are historical facts. This really did happen in about 33 AD on a hill outside of Jerusalem. But you know, as much as this event is the biggest event in history... Uh, there's, there's no bigger news available for anyone anywhere. Right? This event eclipses everything. This event speaks to two realities that, that no matter where you are in life, you are curious and you are living your life with some kind of a belief about this. Is there life after death? What happens to us after we die? Well, the resurrection speaks to that, doesn't it? The resurrection declares that on the other side of the finality of death, there is this thing called life because Jesus Christ is resurrected to present that life to us. Everybody else just goes off into quietness. He comes back and answers the question, there's life beyond this life. And then he also answers another troubling issue that maybe we don't always put it into words real well. But how do you get right with God? Right, Everybody in this room, no matter what background you come from, we've all got a, a, a conscience on the inside of us. Something in us that pokes at us. Lets us know we've done something out of bounds. We've done something wrong. We're falling short. We're not good enough. 
And then we try to ignore that. We try to put some salve on it. For If you're here and you've got some really loud, past, regrettable event in your life, uh, all it takes is you just thinking about that thing again for a moment. And, and what comes crashing in is the guilt and the, the failure and the brokenness that it brought into your life or into the lives of others. Jesus' resurrection answers the question, how does one get right with his creator? Because the Bible actually says the resurrection is the validation of everything else that Jesus said. Jesus claimed that what he was doing on that cross on Friday afternoon was dying to forgive us of our sins so that we could be forgiven, completely forgiven. But if he never comes out of the ground on Sunday, how do, how do we know he forgave anybody? How do we know what he did had the power to forgive anyone? So this event, this Easter event, it is the biggest news that haunts our lives on a daily basis on how do we live our lives. But listen, I, I get this. Because somewhere in history, Easter, even though that's, that's incredible news, Easter just wasn't a big enough event, apparently. It needed a little help. People were losing interest, I guess. So they, you know, the Easter promotional people hired an assistant to keep this thing interesting, right? You know him. He's the Easter bunny. I mean, it's like, hey, you got a guy who dies for all of humanity, sheds his blown, reconciles us to God, comes up out of a grave, presents new life to everybody. But can you make this thing a little more interesting? How about a fluffy bunny who lays colorful eggs? How about some candy, right? I mean, there, there's something about this, this topic and this issue that can just escape. How important really is it for us? You know, maybe the resurrection, because it's about life after this life, and, and probably in this room, nobody's got plans of dying this week. Anybody? Got plans? You know, I'm, I'm thinking this is the last week. I'm, I'm making plans for that. So, Keith, whatever you're going to say this morning, make it count. You're here this morning thinking life's just going to keep going, right? It's going on and on and on. And so it can, it can feel like, does, does this Easter thing really matter on a daily basis? And unless, you know, once the, all the advertisements and I think you can get candy cheap next week, you know, it's going to all change. And you'll go on in life and Easter is going to be that thing we do in the spring, but summer's coming and it's about beaches and vacations in the fall. It's about leaves falling and Thanksgiving and it's, you know, it's Christmas and there's activity in the winter. And, and back around, we'll think about Easter again. But is that how the Bible presents Easter? So now here's the great struggle for us. And we've been looking at this as a church. So if you're kind of visiting with us today, I'm going to to pull you into some thoughts we've already been talking about. Our culture has so shifted into a place where the right here and the right now and the personally relevant is the driving forces of our lives. What's going on in my own backyard? What's going to happen in my life in the foreseeable future? And you know, you always hear the statistics. Most people aren't even planning for retirement, Right? They're just trying to live today. They don't plan for way down there because right now there's stuff to be had. There's things to do. And, you know, Keith, can you hurry up? I've got something happening today, right? Everything is imminent. It's right here. It's right now. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this Some folks that are helping us see this in our culture. James Smith says this. He says, the emergence of the secular is also bound up with the production of of a new option, right? It's a new way of looking at life. A way of constructing meaning and significance without any reference to the divine or to transcendence, right? Transcendence has to do with things that are not right here and right now. 
Things that are about other people besides me. Things that are about the future. Things that are about God. Things that are about eternity. A vision of life in which anything beyond the imminent is eclipsed. So it wasn't enough for us to stop believing in the gods, right? Technology and science has taught us we don't need to believe in those things anymore. We also had to be able to imagine significance within an imminent frame right here, right now. To imagine modes of meaning that did not depend on transcendence. Jen Mitchell says this. Charles Taylor has written an interesting book. I'll share something from him in a second. Writes, many people are happy living for goals which are purely imminent. They're, They're purely about right here and right now. They live in a way that takes no account of the transcendent. Right, now, now, for this service to mean anything to you, stop for a second and, and take a blood sample of yourself. What, what, are, what are the goals that are most pressing on you, that matter the most to you, that you freaked out about recently, that you've been anxious about, that you've yelled at your kids about, that you thought about divorce over? What, you know, what are the things that you're living for that press on you in such a way that they create how we feel about our lives? It might be sobering to think about how many of those have got nothing to do with eternity. They're not about the God who created us. They're about right here and right now and for me. One more thought, Mr. Charles Taylor says, we could ask whether people recognize something beyond or transcendent to their lives. Every person in every society lives life with or by some conception of what human flourishing is. What constitutes a fulfilled life? What makes life really worth living? What, what will we most admire people for? We can't help asking these and related questions in our lives, and our struggles to answer them define the view or views that we try to live by, that we try to live by to get by on a daily basis. In the right here and the right now. But here's the deal. Easter is about transcendent things. It's about something focused on the not right here right now. But that is actually supposed to have quite an impact on the right here and the right now. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three quick tales, stories interactions that Jesus had with people where he acted as though the resurrection was an everyday issue he reminded people as they travel through situations in their lives that the resurrection matters and if you if you were thinking about the resurrection right here it would have impacted your life so I I don't want us to trap the resurrection in Easter Sunday morning and and be done with it by the time we get to Monday because that's not how Jesus thought we would Receive from the resurrection. You know, if, if you were aware that you had a relative who had a trust fund in your name. And because of nothing you had done, just generosity on their part. They had established for you a, a rainy day fund, a if you get in trouble fund. You know, these don't use this frivolously. But you, you've got $5 million sitting in a trust fund. It's yours. It's in your name. And next week, you, you ran into some financial troubles. 
You ran into some issues in life, some difficulties. You didn't know how you were going to fix that, etc., etc., etc. That bank account has a way of comforting you, doesn't it? Before you see the money, before you spend a dime of it, before you take any of it out and have it to exchange with a need that you have. Just the mere awareness that, babe, it's, we've got $5 million in our name. And see, what Jesus did was he deposited in a resurrection account a life that belongs to us. That is meant to travel into the every moment of our lives. The, just the average, the severe, the, the struggles. And to inform us, you have a reality that is yours. If like what Lester described, you belong to Christ. Then this resurrection life belongs to you and it makes a difference every day. So if you turn to Luke chapter 14, let's look at our first interaction. We're going to look at three interactions of Jesus. The first one is with a man who's throwing a banquet. All right, so apparently the resurrection has to do with how you throw a party. I don't know if you ever knew that or not. Then we're going to look at an interaction that Jesus has with a man who is in hell and he has five brothers who are still on earth. And Jesus will interact with. That situation. And then last week, uh, Jesus has, he's got friends, Mary and Martha, who have gone through a tragic loss and a hard time in their lives. And we'll look at how the resurrection speaks to them. Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, he said also to the man, verse 12, who had invited him. When you give a dinner party or banquet, not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid but when you give a feast invite the poor the crippled the lame the blind and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is an interesting situation, right? This guy's just planning to throw a party. This is like banquet planning. He's sitting down and he's making out his list of who do I invite? Of course, who do I invite is a reflection of who, who's important to me right here and right now. And so he begins to think, right? So this is a little bit of a reflection of, you know, who's, who's in your world and and how'd they get there? And, and why are they there exactly? Why did you let those people in? What are you up to? Right, so Jesus asked a huge question for us to consider here. Are your actions, your motivations, and your reasons in daily life informed and influenced by the resurrection? Or are they merely about what I can get out of this right here and right now? Right, there's a little bit of a giveaway here of, of what it's like to hang out with this guy here as you look at his list of people. There's a little bit of a, a user mentality that's built into his life. Where if he's going to invite people, if he's going to get around people, if he's going to make room for people being in his life, it's, it's going to be his peeps. It's going to be his friends. It's going to be his family members. And then curiously, it's going to be his rich neighbors. Really? Your rich neighbors? Yeah, I mean, come on. 
don't, don't make this guy too much of a villain. You know, there's, there's people that we just want to be around certain people over and above being around certain other people. Could be that they're, they're family members. So, you know, even as difficult as family members can be, the relationship is defined. There's a level of comfort there. We know who each other are. We know where the conflicts are going to be. I'm kind of, I've lowered my guard. I'm comfortable with you. You know, it doesn't take much for me to be around you because, you know, it just, it is what it is. But, you know, if I get around some of these, and these other people, they're kind of like high maintenance people, right? The, the poor, the crippled, the lame, what do you, you like, got handicapped parking. I mean, there's all kinds of problems involved. The blind, you, you, you're going you're to entertain blind people? Really? You're going to have them over for dinner? The poor who, they won't be inviting you to any parties in the future. They don't throw parties. They can't afford to. But isn't it interesting that what's given away about this man's life is he has, he has developed a lifestyle that's about what, what will do something for me? What will produce a life that I get to enjoy? And if I invite this guy, then he'll, he'll invite me to his deal. And that'll be nice. I'll have a little social event to look forward to. Listen. Imagine how different our lives would be if we invested our time, our money, our energy in people in in light of the resurrection, in light of a life that goes beyond this life. Not Not just for right here and for right now, right? Imagine the people that we would get around. Imagine the difference in relationships because my motive is no longer just about, let me just get around the people who do something for me. And this is too easy to do today. But yet the resurrection teaches me about a life that's coming. A life that there is a reward in that life. It it may not be right here, right now. Matter of fact, some of these people probably will make it harder for you right here, right now. But there's something coming. There is a reward coming. This passage speaks about a reward that will come to us in the future. Look at verse 14. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There is a moment in which your life becomes the resurrected version of what God had in mind. And we translate out of this world into another world. And in that world, there is reward and there is benefit. And Jesus says, you know, when you go to do your relationships, when you go to plan a dinner party, when you go to get around people, keep that in mind. That there's another life beyond this life. Listen, this is, this is some good news. This is liberating news. Because, you know, there's a lot of us that are, that are working really hard to be in with the right people. Right? We grew up that way. If you're a teenager here, you've got social pressures. You're trying to conform, dress the right way, wear the right shoes, make the right impression. How liberating it is to know you don't need to do that. You don't need to stroke the right people, make sure that you're in with the right crowd, that you fit in with the social elites, or that you're on that list, that, oh my gosh, how many likes did I get? You, you don't need to do that. You could hang around the nobodies, the cripples, the people in need, the unfashionable, unimportant people. You could make room for them in your life. 
And God will reward you for the extension of his life into those lives. Wow, how different would church be if we, hey, church, if we just did that? If we got outside the list of peeps that are just the ones that we're comfortable with and we're okay with and we're drawn to and they're going to do something for us. Right, the resurrection changes the way you do life. Turn to Luke chapter 16 with me. The resurrection influences your understanding of eternal life. Verse 19. Here's a man. He has five brothers and he has lived his life for imminent things. And he's about to experience eternal regret. Think about that for a second. Imminent things that produce eternal regret. See, because the resurrected life is an eternal life. This one's got terminal issues. It's going to stop at some point. No matter how good, how bad, it's going to stop. The next one never ends. So the regret you take into that life, you can never fix it. You can fix it now, but you can never fix it there. Luke 16, Jesus tries to make this point very clear in verse 19. He says, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, now how, the, how the cards have flipped here. Because Lazarus was in pain when the rich man walked by him every day and didn't dip his finger in anything on his behalf. But now, Lazarus, now you could help me out here, man. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may pass from there to us. I mean, this, this is permanent. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And here is Easter morning, and someone has risen from the dead. And still, people are not convinced. 
But what's in this story is the reality of the life beyond this reality. There's a consciousness. There's an experience. People actually exist in a, an awareness. Things are going on. They're experiencing a different version of life. There is a life beyond this life. And what's clearly illustrated is the, the wealthy individual lived for the here and the now and the comforts of the right here and the right now. So much so that he ignored the needs of people around him. And he took no account of what was coming. He lived every day in his fine clothing, in his sumptuous feasts. He ate well, he lived well. But there's something about when everything goes our way in the right here and the right now, it sort of just pulls our mind away from eternity. Jesus had more than one conversation in this category with people. I remember the story of the rich young ruler, right, who Jesus offers him to be done with temporary things and engage eternity and come and follow me. And that rich young ruler got turned inside out. Right? He, he asked Jesus a question. Hey, what, what do I got to do to be right with God? Jesus, why don't you sell all you have and come follow me? Well, he couldn't do that. Because he was addicted to right here and right now. But he lost sight that this is going to stop. You understand? This, you're right here and you're right now. It's a temporary deal. It's going to give way to eternity. And your story is going to sound like this man. Who in hell lifted up his eyes with a reality that. I should have thought this through differently. Can someone send to my brother so that they can have an opportunity to think this through differently. To think about the next life and not just this life. It's interesting what Jesus, it's sobering actually, when I look at this and what Jesus says to him. He says, man, they already have enough of a witness to make a decision about whether they will entrust their lives to me. God has already revealed himself and what he speaks of is the scriptures. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets... Isn't it interesting? I mean, I don't know what some of us are looking and waiting for God to do. You know, perform some bizarre sign, show up in some incredible way, you know, make us win the lottery. You know, hey God, do some kind of a trick so that I'll know. I'll know you're for real and, and, and what you say is true. And, and God just turns around and says, here, read this. No, no, no. I mean, that's cool, God and everything. But, you know, I'm thinking if you, if you did a miracle... Yeah, if you did a miracle, then I would believe. And God turns around and says, you know, as cool as miracles are, if you won't believe this, you won't believe that either. So if if you're one of those people who's sitting here waiting for God to do something bizarre and tailor-made just for you to get your attention in the categories that, you know, hey, maybe God will do that. Maybe he will. I don't know. But here I guarantee you what he will do is he is going to tell each and every one of us, what do you mean you didn't know what to do? You had my written testimony. I told you about who I was and what I'd done for you. All you you needed to do was take it up and read it and believe it. And 
There won't be any more tricks. And when Jesus is almost ironic for the one who came back from the dead to say, even if someone were to rise from the dead and come back, you wouldn't believe him either. And it's true, isn't it? Jesus Christ rose from the dead, came back, and yet still some people don't believe that. One more, one more interaction. Sometimes life is just hard. Life is painful. Life is disappointing. And, and, and I need to reach into that, that bank account of the resurrection and pull it into the moments of life that feel that way. John chapter 11, verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb Four days. Now, Jesus is a, not only a historic figure, he's a personal friend of this family. He has spent time with Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. He's been in their home. And Lazarus took sick. And the great hope was that Jesus will come before he dies and will bring healing and he won't die. Lazarus will stay with us. And for purposes that God had, he intentionally lets Lazarus die. And he's been dead now four days when Jesus shows up. Verse 18. Bethany, the town where they lived, was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here. My brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus answered to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Here's a situation. The last two situations we looked at were, were, they were a rebuke. They were Jesus stepping into people who had been doing it wrong. and And he brings this word of correction to them and rebuke of, you've missed it. You've got the wrong perspective on how you do life. I don't know this is as much rebuke as, as it is a, a perspective of comfort to these who are hurting. Right? If you've been through, and probably everybody here has been through, the death of a loved one, somebody really close to you, that, that when they're not in the picture anymore, it, it, it's a bit haunting. The, the fact that they're not there and the emptiness that's been left by their absence, it, it has an effect on you. And these are, these are two hurting women. And Jesus reaches into a resurrection bank account and pulls something into the moment for them about the resurrection. But I can almost hear Martha's response. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm... I know everybody rises in the resurrection at the end. But somehow that, that didn't do it for her. Because for them, there was a reality uh, you know, of the right here and the right now going on for them. 
If you're Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha never get mentioned as having husbands. There's no mention of their father. So more than likely, Mary and Martha either never married or they're widows. And in an age in which you lived as a, a, a Jewish individual under the Roman Empire's thumb, under the control and the oppression of a governmental structure that exercises taxes on the weak however it chose to, took advantage of people. You can imagine these two women have experienced provision and protection from a man named Lazarus. And in addition to that, they just love their brother. And he's gone. And into that moment comes flooding fear of the future. How, you know, how, do, how do Jesus, if, if you had been here, what do we do now? How, how, do, we, how do we pay our bills? That we're going to lose everything. Who's going to care for us? There's this fearful panic about life in moments like this. And there's just grief. Now, I've talked to some of you guys about grief and about grieving loved ones. It's, it's sticky. It's, it's gooey. It's like you can't get it off of you, right? It just, and you know, you got all kinds of things you're trying to tell yourself, but there's just something about just the way it feels that, that death has suddenly intruded into my life and it's taken something from me. And it's not supposed to be that way. And that's, that's where they are. And when Jesus shows up, his topic of choice is the resurrection. Mary, Martha, draw from your account an awareness right now, right here, in the midst of how this feels, of the resurrection. And then he does something that goes personal in a way that I hope every one of us will hear for ourselves. He doesn't just say, hey, the resurrection is about that, is about one day, is about a calendar event in another life. He says, the resurrection is about me. Ladies, I am the resurrection and the life. And though you don't have Lazarus, you do have me. And I will be faithful to you to the end. The one who is the resurrection, who overthrows death, who shows that he has the power to overthrow death, steps into the Marys and Marthas among us. Says, I'm in your life. Easter Sunday morning, you're celebrating the God who could reverse the power of death, who could overcome the grave, who could bring life, and by the way, could bring us to a better life than this life could ever give to us. That God stands and says, here, pick me. Pick me every day of your life to be the reality of how you greet every moment, whether it's grief or whether it's fear, that you recognize the God of the resurrection is your God. The God who does the impossible. The God who can take a situation for which you have no way of fixing. There's no fixing death, is there? Except for God. He says, I'm that God and I'm in your life. See, you and I weren't meant to have an Easter celebration that got tucked away like decorations. And we pull them out, 
And we make the big deal out of them this weekend, and we draw our attention to it this weekend, and then next weekend we'll move on to something else, and then three weeks from now we'll forget that we just passed Easter, and we'll just be doing and, and running through life. Right? The, the stories here are Jesus saying you can't make that mistake. You, you'll, you'll be sitting in hell one day, scratching your head going, how did this happen? Right? So we can't leave Easter on this weekend. It, it, it's intended to travel with us. It's intended to inform everything that we're doing. So much so that if it's not real, if what we celebrate today is not real, you ought to be signing on for you're the biggest fool on the planet. Here's how the Apostle Paul said that. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, but if, if, let's just consider, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The biggest, emptiest, most foolish thing you got going on in your life is to have believed in a Jesus Christ who supposedly came out of some rock that a guy named Joseph made available to him. And if you've really based your life on it, because that's what this is saying. Because if you didn't base your life on it and it's just a piece of information that sits on a bookshelf, well then you're not most to be pitied as this verse says. And your life hasn't been in vain because you've found other reasons to live, right? And you've guided every day by something else besides the resurrection through Jesus Christ. So you're not a fool. Because you kind of really didn't believe what you said you believed. But if you're here today and you've made adjustments in your life. You have lived a certain way for certain things. For a certain purpose. You have restrained yourself from exercising revenge or self-interest. Or seizing something just because it was right for you. you. You have foregone something of the here and now for the sake of then and the not yet. If you have done that and there's nothing in the not yet, it's a big empty box. You have been the fool, haven't you? This is a little bit different implication here if, if we come to find out that there really isn't an Easter bunny. Tell your kids. What if there... Let's consider that for a moment. What if there really isn't an Easter bunny? Now stop and consider. How's your life going to change now that you know that? But what if there isn't a resurrection? How's your life going to change then? If you're still having a hard time coming up with answers for that, then I mean, I love just listening to Lester recount how different, changed, impacted, affected his life became. How he can find a moment in life where, you know, hey, I'd, I'd heard of this thing called the resurrection and I heard a bunch of these words, but I don't know if I could define them. But on the other side of a genuine investment of faith, In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, everything begins to change shape and color and reasons and motivations. 
It all changes. Right? Paul goes on and says, what, what do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, right? I've gone through difficulties for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel. I've lived a hard life and I've paid some price for it. But what do I gain if the dead are not raised? If they're not, then, well, then let us just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Those are the only two options here, right? If there's a resurrection under the control and power of the God who created us through the person of Jesus Christ, if that's the resurrection, if that exists, well, then it makes sense that the Apostle Paul changed his life completely. It cost him tremendously. He lived a life of difficulty and inconvenience. He walked away from all kinds of right here, right now benefit in his life that he could have had. Paul, just stay on the path that you're on. Life's going to be rewarding. You're going to be applauded. You're going to be a somebody. And instead he walks a path that only makes sense. If there really is an eternity available only through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, eat, drink, and be merry. Live it up because your clock is ticking. As a matter of fact, you're probably hoping I'm going to finish sometime soon. Because... (laughs) You got some eating, drinking, and being married to get around to, right? Life is limited. As a matter of fact, if that's true, why are you wasting your time in church at all? I mean, I don't know. Find something more fun than this and do it and invest in it and live for it because it's going to be over. And those of you who are my age or older, it's getting over quick, isn't it? (laughs) It's like, who? Who is speeding this thing up? I feel like there's a throttle that's out of control right now. And if all we've got is right here and right now, then we we best get around to it, right? Most of us, if we grew up around church, we're familiar with the Apostles' Creed or some creed. In it, there is this, this line, this statement, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Really? Do you really? Believe? I mean, do you believe in that like you believe in the Easter Bunny? Or do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And it frames everything about our lives. See, Easter's not a seasonal celebration. It's an everyday awareness. In our stories, it's shaped the wealthy and the indulgent. It, it should have informed those who have the magnetic pull of stuff in their lives that's so hard to get out of the orbit of those things but the resurrection informs you how do I hold this stuff it it informs relationships that you will or that you won't have the people that you'll let into your life the time that you'll make available to love and care for people who have a different type of need in your life whether or not you're you're going to just make your life convenient self-serving and you and and all of you are welcome to be a part of my life if you'll sign on for that there'll be a little book right here if you'll sign just say you're willing to make my life convenient and personally rewarding as well then you are all welcome there'll be a, a book in the back you can sign on on your way out today but what about the people who aren't going to be convenient for me What about the ones that are going to be difficult? What about the ones that are going to have needs? What about the ones that are going to suck your time dry? What about the ones who have a different personality from you and when you get around them, they kind of make your skin crawl because you don't know how to respond to somebody who's that way, whatever that way is for you. What about people who cost you money? 
See, there's something in us that said, don't, don't get around, don't. Honey, you're inviting those people to the party? What are you thinking? Right? We, we create a life with certain people on the invitation list until you begin to think beyond this life and into eternity and the God who rewards those who love like he loves and get around people who are not like him. Any, anybody thinking that you would be on God's banquet list? I'm pretty sure I'm in the crippled, blind, lame category. And so if the God of the universe doesn't have a merciful heart to extend an invitation to someone who's not like him, I'm not joining the banquet. I'm not sure how you feel about whether you would have gotten an invitation or not. Listen, this morning, Eric, you can come back up. As we celebrate this resurrection, and today's a great day, isn't it? I mean, you just get up. You just, you just I mean, I, I, you know, today I, I look at the sunrise differently when I get up. You know, maybe it's that Sandy Patty song. Was it a morning like this? You know. But there's something about an awareness that a new life dawned. And everything broken lost its power over that life. Everything that was dead, everything that morally was corrupt, every distance from God was broken by this stone being rolled away and this life that emerged forth and spoke to all of that and said, you are not in control over me. It makes this whole day different for us. The great struggle, the great challenge is to be mindful of that every other day of the year. Which Jesus apparently thought we would. Each of these stories paints a picture of people that are just like us. These, these, these people are us. And the thing that was missing in the way in which they did their lives was an awareness that there's this thing of the resurrection. There's this new life that goes on forever. And it's meant to inform the life that you and I are living right here and right now. So let me ask you to just stand up with me for a moment. We're going to pray together and close. I'd like to ask people, maybe if you're a visitor with us today and how grateful we are that you are here with us celebrating this day together. But I like to do this at the end of, end of a service often. Is, you know, you've been listening to human words and human thoughts. But you know, God is an invisible God. And he has said that he sent, after Jesus conquered death, he sent his spirit into the world to interact with us, to affect us, to communicate with us. And certainly he uses human words, but, but he can just go straight to you, straight to the heart. So I just want to ask you, if you just maybe would bow your head, close your eyes, just get along, get along with God. I mean, hey, you're in church, you made some time to be here today. What's God want to say to you? What's it got for you to take from here personally? Because he cares about what's going on. Jesus knew the details of people's lives. He says he knows the hairs that are on your head.
Maybe you're one of those people that the resurrection needs to inform just the everyday routines, the everyday relationships, the everyday motives of life. Maybe God wants to change your territory and your sense of self-serving by making you mindful. He is a rewarder in the life to come of lives that have been laid down for his purpose. The needs of others have been taken up and you have served and given away your life in a way that may have cost you and may still be costing you, but... God this morning wants to remind you the resurrection speaks of a life to come in which God is eager to reward and eager to bless for all eternity the sacrifice that you have made to to love those in his name who are weak and broken and crippled and lame and blind difficult Troubled marriages where you have chosen to lay your life down in love. Struggles with children where you have not chosen the convenient way. And it's cost you. God says, remember there's a a resurrection. You will be repaid. Perhaps the most sobering story is the man for whom it was too late. The man who discovered in hell that he had rejected, didn't make time for, didn't pursue an awareness of the scriptures that would have led him to an awareness of eternity so that he wouldn't face the resurrection in a place called hell. How sobering. Jesus isn't trying to write this down for those who are in hell. He's trying to write it down for those who need to be aware that there is a hell. Maybe you're here today and the resurrection Easter morning needs to scream out. What are you living for? What purpose have you found in life? Is, is it God's purpose? Are you, are you living your life for him, the one who created you? Have, you? have you taken up his offer to forgive you of your sins because of what Christ did for you at the cross on Good Friday? Shedding his blood, wiping away your sins, making a relationship with God possible. Have you, have you responded to that? What are you waiting for? The resurrection screams out. You might find yourself in a place you never foresaw. And it just came faster than you could have imagined. This morning, God calls out to you and says, Think, think about eternity. Think about forever. And this morning, put your faith in me. Turn to me. Give me your life. Entrust it to me. Lest you find yourself in that place. Listen, if that's you this morning, do business with God right now. Turn to him right now. Tell him, God, 
I, I, I don't want to be apart from you for eternity. I don't want to face torment for eternity. God, I, I want to turn to you today. I'm here because you brought me to this place. Turn to him in faith. Turn to him in repentance. Give him your life back. Whatever purpose you found apart from him to live it for, set that down and say, God, lead me from now on. Define my life for me from now on. Direct me from now on. I entrust my life to you. And I receive forgiveness of my sins. And restoration to you this morning. Easter morning, 2018. If you're here this morning and you are, maybe you're in the Mary and Martha category. You are, you are facing griefs loss, fears, question marks about the future, struggles have gotten the best of you. Life has, has been really hard lately. When Jesus proclaims, he reminds you, he reaches into your account, the God of resurrection, he says, I am your God. The one that you celebrate this morning who could fix death and overcome it and bring restoration to the enemies of God. That's who I am. I am the resurrection and I am your God. Look to me, Mary and Martha. Look to me. Trust in me. Hope in me. Not just this morning because the stone was rolled away, but every day, next week, into next month when you're wondering, well, how, how am I going to have a need met? What's going to happen? What's life going to be like then? Trust in me, God says. I am the resurrection. I am the life. So Lord, we thank you for an Easter that reminds us of such rich reality of a, an account that we have with you that is to influence every day, every moment, every relationship. Lord, would you invade the right here and the right now with your resurrection reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Come behold the wondrous mystery In the dawning of the King He the theme of heaven's praises Robed in frail humanity In our longing, in our darkness Now the light of life has come Look to Christ who condescended Took on flesh to
help us to not forget this. Lord, and we don't want to just not forget it tomorrow. Lord, we want this to define our lives. Lord, this resurrected life, this forgiveness of our sin, this, this new way of living that you've provided for us. So Lord, let it be hope for us that the grave could not restrain you. Lord, let, us, let it be hope to us that you are alive, living inside of us. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for rising for us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name that we live, that we live the rest of this day as with friends and family. Lord, we, we live in that life, in the life of Jesus Christ. Lord, so be with us, we pray. Amen. Amen.